Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Welcome in, Boston sports fans everywhere. Episode two of Boston's Big Four on the Believe Podcast Network. I'm your host, Stephen Ace Norman. For everyone who's returning to the program and listened to episode one, welcome back and thank you for the continued support in the very early stages of the podcast here. Means a lot to me. And for the first time listeners out there, welcome in. I'll give you a very quick synopsis on the show. It's just as the title reads. It's very simple. It's Boston's Big Four. I get into the Patriots, the Red Sox, the Celtics, the Bruins, Each week with a new episode releasing on Tuesday, we'll get to the hottest, most pertinent topics on the minds of you, the fans, discuss stuff that we read in the newspaper, hear on sports talk radio, news conferences, press conferences, I should say, the actual games, the outcomes, future matchups, we'll get into it all. And I'll fill you in on all that stuff that you don't have enough time to sift through on your own throughout the course of the week because you know you're living your lives and paying your bills and working your jobs, which is very much understandable, and thank you for that. You can find the show here, if you like it, on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Google. We also have all of our major social media platforms up and running, and the info for that is on the Believe Podcast webpage. That site is Believe.com, spelled B-L-E-A-V. I gave a personal background of myself in the very beginning of episode one, which is out now. So I'm not going to bore those of you who are returning with that background information. But for those of you who are interested in that, it's out there on episode one. Uh, That's out right now. You can go through it. Uh, A very quick background on me or who I am, I should say. I'm not always positive. I'm not always negative. But I'm always authentic, realistic, and honest. So everything that you hear from me, all my takes, they're truly how I feel. Last week, we focused entirely on the Patriots after a huge win in Buffalo, where the Patriots control the number one seed. They control that game. 46 rushes. I'm still not over it. I still can't believe they won that game. We discussed that in episode one, so I'm not going to bore you with a a recap of basically last week's episode. We ran a little bit long, so I didn't get to the segment I wanted to regarding what Bill has proven to this point in the season, in my opinion, and I'll give you that here on tonight's program. I also will touch on the Colts matchup ahead of that that game on Saturday night in Indianapolis coming off of the bye, but I want to start with the Boston Celtics, who were in action last night after an embarrassing and I mean embarrassing road trip that saw them go one and four versus Western Conference teams who were missing some of their very best players, and yet the Celtics were still embarrassed on that trip. So they come back last night, they bounce back versus the Milwaukee Bucks, the defending champions of the NBA, with a one uh, seventeen, excuse me, to one hundred three victory at the TD Garden that propped that record up to a wonderful fourteen and fourteen. Expectations are through the roof here after that win. (laughs) I mean, people lose their brains. Green teamers lose their brains. And the Celtics uh, continue this home stand versus Golden State on Friday. They're now 
ninth in the East. So I want to work our way through last night's matchup because in all seriousness, there were some positives from that. I want to get into what those positives were, what it means moving forward, what this team can or should do to flip a switch. Is that possible? And I'm going to play GM in a sense and tell you the moves that I would make and why I would make them and why I feel like maybe the direction of this team isn't the direction or shouldn't be the direction they've been going in. But let's start with last night at the Garden. Milwaukee came in winning 12 of 14. The Celtics barely beat Milwaukee back in November at the Garden that game without Chris Middleton, without Giannis. And to the Celtics' credit, last night, they were the best versions of themselves. They showed you what their ceiling can be when they display effort, physicality, and really buy into what they need to do on both ends of the floor. They played hard for the entire game. And there were stretches there early in the first quarter where Milwaukee had a 12-point lead and the Celtics just didn't quit. They didn't peter, which has been something that, of course... This team has been dealing with now for years. And instead of climbing back in their hole and going back to their old tendencies and their bad habits, they continued to move the ball. They continued to share the ball. They dug in defensively. They bounced back. They held Giannis in check seven points under his season average. They moved the ball and they never turned to that hero ball or as I call it, my turn, my turn type of basketball, 31 assists on 43 made baskets, their season average being 22.9, 20th in the NBA. So you can see that they dedicated themselves to that thought of, we have to continue to work within team and not I. Shooting 50% from the floor, 42.6% from three point, even showing a little fight, a little grit, where... Grant Williams gets in a little scrap. I'm not going to make too much of it. It's still the NBA. No one's actually going to fight. They're all going to do the hold me back, hold me back routine. But they both get double technicals and there was a little shoving. And okay, it it shows at least that you're awake and aware. And then you add that to the fact that Jalen Brown looked sharp in his return. He looked healthy, rejuvenated, 19 points, 6 of 13 shooting. 3-7 from three-point land, five assists, four rebounds in the 30 minutes that the Celtics had planned to carve out for him. And then Jason Tatum, right? Jason Tatum, who is a top 10 talent. He just hasn't been a top 10 consistent talent in the league to this point. 42 points. That's a season high. 16-25 shooting. Marcus Smart, 11 assists, no turnovers. Grant Williams, 5 of 7 on the night, all of those being three-point shooting. Al Horford had just 10 points, but he was a plus 25 in a game where the Celtics only won by 14. I say only because you have a plus-minus of plus 25, and you only see a 14-point victory. That just shows you how good he was defensively. So Monday night, the Celtics listened to Ime Udoka, They bought into the film session that I'll get to here in a minute, and the message was received. For them to be this type of team, it's not science. It's not like they have to go to the drawing board and really figure it out. It's pretty simple. Play team basketball, give effort on the defensive side of the court, don't let your offense affect your defense, your intensity, your focus. Show up for games. You can't just coast through these games and expect to win. You're not that good. 
and stay together and stay together. And this Celtics team has had problems with all these things. They sound simple. It almost sounds like you're talking to high school kids like, guys, hey, just got to buy into the team philosophy. Trust Timmy. Trust Johnny. Okay, they're going to make the right play with the ball. That's the type of stuff that it is for this Celtics team. And it's simple. And you want to bang your head because you see it. I see it. People who cover the team see it. People who don't have the basketball knowledge that these guys have see it. Yet the players on the court are not able to. Or maybe they just don't want to and aren't willing to because it doesn't help their brand. It doesn't get them an all-star vote. It doesn't get them on an all-NBA team. It doesn't get them a part of the insider circle that is the NBA top 10 or whatever that next move is for them financially, independently, individually. So naturally, after one good game, the over-enthusiastic green teamers, and that's not all the fans out there, that's not all Celtics media, that's not all Celtics fans, but there are a good portion of them. Ask today, are the Celtics back? Have they arrived? Was this their wake-up call, their wake-up moment? I feel like I'm living in Bill Murray's movie, Groundhog Day, where it's the same thing over and over, where they get a big win, they look good, they look like they've finally hit their expectations and played up to their expectations, and then everyone wants to ask, well, has, has this been their turning point? Let me, let me ask you right now, do any of these other wake-up calls that happened this season feel any different than this right now? Smart was suspended at the very beginning of the preseason because he missed a flight. New coach trying to create an environment, a culture, and one of your core players who you just gave a contract extension to misses the flight. Great first sign. Wasn't enough of a wake-up call for the team, though. Opening night at the Garden, the Toronto Raptors, the bottom dwellers of the East at this point in time, kicked the Celtics ass in an embarrassing fashion in front of the home crowd first game of the year really one of the first times and chances that this team has had to play in front of a packed sold out crowd at the garden I think they had one game last year in the playoffs versus the Nets but other than that haven't seen a packed garden in over a year and they show up flat then in their next chance to bounce back at home in front of the home crowd The Washington Wizards come to town, Bradley Beal and company, Jason Tatum's buddy. And we hear post-game after they fell on their face yet again that Ime Udoka had to call them out and shoot around. I ask you, a fan of basketball and a follower of the NBA, how piss poor does a team's participation have to be in a shoot around to get called out by your head coach where he says, if you play like this, you're going to get your butts kicked? Were they sitting on the ground, crisscross applesauce, hucking up shots from the floor? How bad did they have to show up? Or I should say, how hungover did they have to show up because they went out partying the night before with their friends who were in town? That's a great way to show the home crowd that you get it. In a season that had just started and that you had already fallen on your face in front of them and you have a chance to rebound, no pun intended, and that's that's how you show up. And then you have the embarrassing collapses. 
the 19-point blown lead to the Chicago Bulls, or Marcus Smart on a night where he had no assists, calling out Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum, the Jays, for not passing the ball, which he was right in some, in some shape and fashion. He's not the right messenger for it. And that led to the players only meeting, or really it was a dinner that the coaches showed up late to, whatever it was. Adrian Wojnarowski reported that it wasn't exactly particularly helpful. It wasn't exactly a positive experience. And then it leads us to the latest rendition, the latest wake-up call for the Celtics team. They come off a 1-4 road trip where Brandon Boston, a rookie second-round draft pick, lights you up for 27 points in a game where there's no Paul George, where there's no Kawhi Leonard, And then the Celtics went on on Friday night to embarrassingly also lose to the Phoenix Suns, who were were without their two best players. And you have a film study that before the game, Ime Udoka sits down with the team and has an animated look at 100 clips from the road trip where they weren't giving effort, where they backed down from LeBron James or Russell Westbrook running the lane where they basically petered to competition and intensity that was coming in their direction, in their face. And although it was heated, it was well-received. And you hear the players saying that after the game. So because of that, I'm now supposed to believe that this team has fixed their problems and now won't have a problem with showing up with a lack of focus, a lack of energy, a lack of grit, toughness, physicality, emotion, passion, heart. I'll leave that for the overly positive, optimistic group. For me personally, the way that I watch sports, I'm going to wait and see if your product matches up with how you talk and if how you talk matches up with how you play. Which brings me to the very harsh reality and possibly incorrect. I don't write the, the, the possibility that last night was the flip of the switch, was the pivotal jumping off moment. But I think in all likelihood, based off of the past, and the best way to predict the future is the past, I think that last night was an aberration for this team. And I've been on way too many emotional fan roller coasters, up and down, up and down, up and down over the course of the last three seasons to believe that this one win or even a solid week or a solid two weeks is enough to change my perspective on this team because it's been years of seeing these same peaks and valleys. And for me, the actions speak louder than the words. And all too often, this team talks the talk with no action or they talk the talk and even walk the walk for spurts and then are quick to revert when adversity hits. So if I'm Brad Stevens and I'm putting on my president of basketball operations hat, if there was one. And sample size is a question that's been asked a lot of this week. Is 27 games enough of a sample size? And I realize they played 28, but that was the popular question before last night's game. I say, I'm not looking at 27 games. I'm looking at the past three seasons. And to quote Denny Green from 2006, they are who we thought they were. And we let them off the hook. It's time for Brad to stop letting them off the hook. You can't wait any longer 
for them to transform and suddenly play consistent basketball. The definition of insanity is doing the same thing over and over again and expecting a different result. The Celtics have made minor changes, mid-level changes, but they've always kept the same core. And by keeping the same core and expecting something different to come from it, you are insane. This whole Michigan started and at first it was Kyrie's fault. Then it was Gordon Hayward's fault for getting too many minutes when he wasn't deserving of it because he was Brad's boy. Then there were just too many mouths to feed. Then it was Brad's fault as the head coach. Then it was Kemba Walker and a ball-dominant point guard who just took away shots from the wing players that needed the ball in their hands more. Then it was Danny Ainge for not acquiring the right pieces or making the right trades. So they switched coaches. They swapped Kemba for Horford. They moved Brad upstairs. They rearranged the supporting cast with veterans that were defensive-minded. And they're 14-14. and And they've regressed in the three years since Kyrie's left. So as Wednesday, December 15th hits the calendar, and trade talks and rumors ramp up, and contenders start looking into the market to see who's available and what's out there, Now that 84% of the NBA becomes trade eligible and the early season restrictions on players who sign deals in the summer are up, if I'm Brad, I start to look at significant alterations, not just minor adjustments. Those haven't been adequate enough. Right now, you're not competing in the East. You've gone backwards each of the past three seasons. And at the same time, you haven't been really developing a core for the future. You're middlers. So I'm looking at trading Marcus Smart. I don't think that that's enough, by the way. I don't think that it's enough, but it's a start. Smart's long-range shooting has regressed considerably. It rose for three years. Now it's declined for three years. Now, you can't trade Smart until January 20th, so you have to wait. But at least look to see what's out there and be willing to move. I just don't know how long you can keep this core together before you realize it's not the right mix. They're not bad guys. They have flaws in their game. I think as far as leadership qualities, they they don't necessarily have those. They haven't evolved enough. But you have to change this core. You've changed everything else. You have to now look forward. And maybe you have to take a step backwards to do so. But at the very least, You have to look at trading Dennis Schroeder, who's been one of the bright spots for this team. He could be a good rental. There's no clear path to retaining him. He's averaging 17 points a game, five assists, three, almost four rebounds a game. He's one of the team's most valuable assets. You have to start looking at stuff like that. And at the same time, it's also going to open up playing time for Peyton Pritchett and Neesmith. And I wouldn't just stop there. I'd investigate other larger moves because for me the problems start at the head of the adult table not the kids table and I don't mean that to be disrespectful or rude to to any players my point being is it all starts with your best players and right now Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown don't make each other better players they don't make those around them better players so at some point you have to make that tough decision It's not the preferred direction that you'd like to go, but it's the route that you probably have to take. 
You take the more talented player, which is Jason Tatum. I have questions about his instinct, you know, that killer instinct. I have questions about him being an alpha, being a leader. But if you're able to take that talent and pair him with a veteran who's ready, who's dying to win, who takes the leadership role, and I'll take that gamble of moving on from the 25-year-old could-be superstar that still has an upside to his game, but yet hasn't completely broken through yet, who also hasn't played more than 58 games in the past two seasons, this year only having 14 games to his resume, who has a hamstring problem that seems to be reoccurring and also has some leadership problems of his own and isn't the more skilled player. And I'll say, you know what? I'll take that risk and I'll move in the direction that I think is a gamble but could pay more dividends in the long term. Because I don't know how long you're going to be able to keep Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown happy if the team is just mediocre and you keep those two together. Now, changing topics and shifting the discussion to a team that's on the opposite end of the spectrum that the Celtics are on, and that's the New England Patriots, who are the number one overall seed. And you just let that sink in for a second because you say to yourself, after six weeks where you thought this team would be here entering week 15, and I don't think it would be at the number one overall seed, they control their own destiny, and you realize that only one loss could could take them into a slide of of a few spots there in the standings, and you know that they're not invincible. But you look at the rest of the matchups on the schedule here, and they should be favored in all of them, and they should win all of them. And this week is going to be a big test. Indianapolis, on the road, tough place to play, a coach that gets it, an offense that has a very similar identity to yours, and you're going to be tested this week. Listen, I've liked Indianapolis here for a little while, A, a team that doesn't ask their quarterback to do too much, that has a terrific running game and one of the best in the game at the running back position, which is obviously Jonathan Taylor. I like Michael Pittman, uh, their best receiver in my opinion. And Indy's coming into this game 6-2 and two in their last eight after a slow start to the season where Carson Wentz was dealing with two sprained ankles. Indianapolis now in their own building, feeling good, having a swagger, coming off of the bye week. The sixth overall seed in the AFC now, they slid into that position over the weekend with some help. And they're really looking at the Patriots like, we feel like we're on your level. We feel like we're very similar to you, and we're here to prove it. National television, and once again, our own building. And with all that said, and I'm not a handicapper. I'm not a sports handicapper. I don't, I don't look at the numbers and break down every single category. But I look at this Patriots team, and I stand by what I said last week on the podcast. They're the best overall team in the AFC, the most complete team in the AFC that will take the field Saturday night with a top 10 defense that's able to play the pass and play the run very efficiently, that has an offense that is also efficient in its own right and is balanced. And it will be tested by this Indianapolis defense, a a top five rush defense in their own right. But this Patriots team can morph week to week, whether it's playing zone coverage, whether it's playing man coverage, whether it's being very dependent upon the pass, whether it's being very dependent upon the run. And they haven't had to ask Mac Jones to carry them for a game yet. That's still to be seen. 
So when I say carry them via the pass, I'm not saying that Mac Jones has individually won himself any of these games, but I think that he is able to do enough in the passing game. And they're playing their best football right now. And they still have that two and four mindset where you don't have to worry about complacency coming in to play here on Saturday night, where you know that Bill has gotten his players enough rest over the bye week. And you can't forget about the advantage at the head coaching position. Frank Reich, a very good head coach in his own right. But I still take Bill. And I still take Mac Jones over Carson Wentz, who I think is the real wild card. Take away that running game. That's what Bill likes to do. He takes away what you do best. I don't expect Indianapolis to be able to run rampant like they did a few weeks back against the Buffalo Bills. And I expect the Patriots to control this game. And I like them going into Saturday night. A couple of odds here just to give you an idea of how the betting public or the handicappers, the pros, feel about the New England Patriots and their chances to come out of the division. Kansas City is favored, plus 240. You wager 100, uh, you win 240 if KC wins the division. New England right behind them at plus 260. And I think that a large part of those numbers there are people are, are riding Kansas City and what they've done in the past and what that offense can be, not what it is yet. So that just tells you right now the New England Patriots are still in the driver's seat in the AFC. And I still picked them to win Saturday night. So what has Bill Belichick proven? Nine and four, his team's in the driver's seat, but it's not done yet. So what has Bill proven? Has he proven anything to you? To me, it's very clear what he's proven. He's proven that the Patriot way, which he was a creator of with Brady in a partnership, but that Patriot way wasn't just the Tom Brady way. And Bill hasn't lost his fastball. He's still able to zig when everyone else zags, win while doing it, and oh, by the way, do it in a way that the current modern-day NFL is not accustomed to teams playing anymore. He's still the smartest man in the room. He can still dial up vintage Bill Belichick schemes and game plans, and he's regained in the fan base and in the media the in-Bill we trust. And it's warranted. When you can go out and spend $163 million and be mostly right on the guys that you hit, and you can go to the draft and draft impact players this season that are adding to what this team is doing right now on this seven-game win streak. And yeah, I know he created the holes on this roster. He's also been the one who's been able to fix those holes and patch those holes and start slow. But yet keep the locker room calm through the turbulent times. And now those players that he brought in, whether it be draft picks or free agents, he paid them well, sure. That doesn't buy you buy-in or ensure you that those players are going to take the coaching and give credit to the staff while still asking for more practice, for more detail. I'm no Bill Belichick honk. Okay, and the national media fell off with Bill last season when he had an embarrassing performance. He did. Now you get the national media like Ryan Clark calling Bill God, basically giving Bill credit for being similar to God with the way he's created this team. He's a coach of the year leader in the clubhouse. Won it three times, not once without Brady. And this team is now set up for years to come. 
Bill is officially back in the Bill Belichick or Tom Brady debate. He's still down on the scoreboard, but he's not out. He's not out. And there you have it, episode two in the books. I hope you enjoyed this week's episode. If you did and you haven't gotten around to it yet, please subscribe and download the show wherever you get your podcasts. Apple, Spotify, Google Podcasts, just to name a few. And maybe even tell a friend. Hey, I know. Crazy, I know. New episodes coming every Tuesday. Be sure to follow, interact, and communicate with me on social media. Instagram at BB4Podcast. Our Facebook page is up there. You could also email the program. Thank you for loaning me your ears and your attention, as always. Until next week, Boston, be well, be healthy, be real. Spring? Is that you? Warmer temps mean new Allbirds styles. Meet the Super Light Collection, the lightest ever shoes from Allbirds, now in fresh colors. These must-have travel shoes have a lighter-than-air feel and barely-there fit that made them the most packable shoes ever. That means more comfort and less baggage. Try the Super Light Tree Runner with a cushy foam midsole and breathable eucalyptus fiber upper. Plus, they're comfy right out of the box. So what can you do in a super light shoe? What can't you do is the better question. And because they're super packable, the real question is, where are you taking them? Experience how Allbirds redefines comfort. Visit Allbirds.com and use code SUPER24 for a free pair of socks with a purchase of $48 or more. That's A-L-L-B-I-R-D-S dot com. Code SUPER24.